face the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, its continuing mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Welcome to Starfleet Boy, where we have a casual and informal discussion about our beloved series, Star Trek. You are listening to a previously recorded conversation. We're back. On another exciting episode of Starfleet Boy, and I'm joined once again by my esteemed uh, colleague uh, and uh, fellow uh, Trekkie, <laughs> the Doctor. Hello, Doctor. Hello, and speaking, hello. speaking of the Doctor, there's uh-huh. Beverly. There is Beverly. I'm trying to get her to... There we go. Okay. Beverly. Yes. Beverly. You know you what... You should have let him die. You know, <laughs> Beverly. You know what to do. Beverly, the prime directive. He You've broken it again. He was really pissy with her in this episode. He was. He was very pissy. Well, anyways, um, sh- do you want to share your news first, or should we get right to the show? No, no, no. I'll, I'll tell you. you know, <laughs> okay. It's not that big. All it right. was just something I learned. I, I recently purchased Enterprise on Blu-ray. Oh. And. And uh, actually, I'll show it off right here. So, Enterprise on Blu-ray. That's a I, highly, I highly recommend it. Whoa, nice box set. Uh, bonus features. Well, you know, actually, I like the other box set better. I don't have it near me right now. But um, this is more compact. So, I guess it's better. But there was something they, they shared on Enterprise that was shocking to me and I didn't even know. Oh, well, now you have to just say it. Okay. William Shatner was going to come back as Kirk on Enterprise. What? That's actually cool. He made a proposal to Rick Berman and Brandon Braga and he was like, I know how we can bring Kirk back. Mm. I'm going to write the story. And they both said that the story was actually good and they were going to do it. There was one problem. What was the problem? It got canceled. No, the money. And Rick Berman, in telling the story, he said that the amount of money that Shatner wanted <laughs> was, the TV, was the TV equivalent to... And here's the other thing that just blew me it just i fell off fell out of the chair do you know who wanted to be soren in star trek generations no marlon brando marlon brando wanted to play soren marlon brando and wow. it's it's on that blu-ray you can watch it i'm not making that's so movie. cool brando wanted to play soren and he he told Rick Berman, and Rick Berman was very excited because it's Marlon Brando. Oh, I mean, 
like to have right. to have just had like Marlon Brando in a Star Trek movie. Oh, that's such a shame. Picard, Picard, I'm gonna make you an offer. You can't refuse. The worst random impression of all time. It was actually not that bad. And but he wanted so much money that it would have been like the whole budget of generations. Apparently. Oh man, that so sucks. It was not to be. And apparently, what what Shatner wanted was like it was like twenty times the max that a show could afford for a special guest star. <laughs> oh, William Shatner. <laughs> yeah. But you know what? He can he can ask. He can ask for that kind of money. I think William Shatner uh, has, uh, you know, certainly having the original Captain Kirk in your, uh, in your show uh, is, is a high price. <laughs> it's a high ticket item. <laughs> It would have been a time travel story, obviously. Right. And they don't say what the story was. Which is perfect. They refuse to say what this, this <laughs> premise was. But they both say that it was very good and they were both ready to do it. Now, and my, my brother said this. He was like, that would have saved the show. I think it would have definitely saved the show. And especially, I don't know. Uh, has, I don't know what William Shatner is getting paid for, like, Boston Legal or some of these other shows, but couldn't he have cut Star Trek a break? <laughs> like, come on, Mr. Shatner. I don't know. I don't know. <clears throat> well, I don't know. We, do you think there's I, – I really have a lot of hope that there's a possibility that um, one of Star Trek Discovery's saving graces will be guest appearances by our beloved uh, original cast. Is uh, that the fan film? <laughs> We'll talk about that. <laughs> I, I'm not. I don't have a lot of confidence, as you know, in Star Trek Discovery. So I might be calling it um, Space Trek Discovery to rationalize that it's a a show that I have to watch, but not necessarily a Star Trek show. We'll see. <laughs> so, anyways, um, I guess we should get to our current episode the one we're going to be talking about today which is who watches the watchers and um uh doctor when did did you just watch the episode i i i I think i told you i marathoned like the first five episodes of season three because it was the season is so good from the get-go i wanted to say that you're absolutely right (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when you made that point, because so far there hasn't been like a bad episode in my mind. It's astonishing the quality of the episodes we've seen so far compared to the previous two seasons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, it like it was, I was just like, okay, I want the next one. I want the next one. And this one, I mean, well, again, a stellar episode. Stellar episode. So basically the Enterprise is... Uh, Summoned, uh, they get a distress call from a archaeological or an- sorry, anthropological, anthropological. Um, expedition on a planet called Mintaka Three, in which uh, a Starfleet uh, research team, excuse me, is uh, studying a primitive uh, Vulcan-like uh, race known as the Mintakans. Uh, they're kind of in the Bronze Age of their. Uh, of their development, which which is kind of funny, we're gonna talk about how every uh, life uh, <laughs> seems to. <laughs> there's a lot of Bronze Age civilizations out there, but any. <laughs> <laughs> 
But anyways, they're in their um, sort of Bronze Age uh, equivalent, and um, uh, there's a problem with the uh, uh, anthropological research station, which happens to be uh, basically a duck blind is what they're known as. Uh, it's camouflage into the environment, and the researchers can uh, observe the inhabitants doing their uh, daily routines from a vantage point where... Um, you know, they see the whole village, I guess. Anyways, this thing's failing, and at first, they're, they're, you know, data's like, if we increase speed to warp seven, we'll get there in like ten minutes. But as he's yeah, yeah twenty three minutes. But as he's saying that, um, the duck blind uh, kind of has a uh, malfunction. There's explosions, lots of smoke. Uh, one guy falls out the the observation uh, window, and so then Picard's like, okay. Warp nine. Warp nine. <laughs> Engage. Engage. So they get there. They, uh, you know, help the injured crew make general repair, start making general repairs and assessments. Um, and then one of the Mentakins, a character named Liko and his daughter, happened to be doing uh, a measurement uh, of the... Um, uh, it looked like they were doing some kind of uh, astronomical measurement about the day. Like this is the time of the day, sun. the sun, and stuff like that. So, yeah, anyway, imagine it's for crops or something. I don't know. Yeah, and then uh, Liko's daughter, whose name I can't remember at the moment, but we'll look it up. Uh, <laughs> uh, she notices the exposed duck blind, and uh, they go to investigate. Uh, and while Liko is investigating, he stumbles, falls, and becomes critically injured. And Dr. Crusher has to beam him aboard the ship to save his life. Um, and as he's on the sickbay uh, healing, he, Picard, who happens to come in to see what the situation is, he sees Picard and in a kind of like a, you know, he's almost out of it. So he sees him in like this kind of hazy vision and he hears him uh, throwing around some commands. And when he gets back and then, you know, they, they notice he's awake. So Dr. Crusher attempts to erase his memory and sends him back to the planet. Meanwhile, um, there's a, the injured crew member who had fallen out. His name's Palmer uh, fallen out of the, uh, not like maybe one of Laura Palmer's distant, uh, uh, <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. What? That's very interesting that you said that. Why did you just why did you invoke the name Laura Palmer? Well, yesterday was Twin Peaks Day. <laughs> and do you realize who Le- uh, Leiko is? What, what's his name? Leiko? Oh my goodness. Yes, that is serendipitous. <laughs> yes, that is Laura Palmer's father. Oh my goodness! Part of the suspense for me personally was that I kept expecting him to kill his daughter the whole episode. I'm like, wait a minute, that's Laura Palmer's father. He's gonna kill her, right? Wowzers! Yeah. That's you're totally yeah. right. I didn't even yeah. realize it. Mate, you know, that's, the makeup really gets me. <laughs> Ray Wise. I just want to say, Ray Wise is a, and he's an immensely underrated actor. He's been on everything from Twin Peaks to Gilmore Girls. I mean, he's done. And Star oh, Trek, right. he was on Voyager apparently. Um, he he's he's been in uh, tons of movies and television shows. Psych, uh, I mean, you name it, he's been on it. And uh, but that voice is unmistakable. You're absolutely right. And even when he's playing a good guy, I'm still 
I'm, I'm a just, bit suspicious. Yeah. Well, he, not exactly a nice guy. In yeah, sense. no, not exactly a nice guy. I mean, well, continue <laughs> with the summary. Anyway, so... Uh, <laughs> <That's funny. laughs> so, uh, Riker and Troy come up with a plan to uh, see if they can recover Palmer. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> they decide to call uh, Agent Cooper in. No, I'm just right, kidding. there we go. <laughs> Wow, that's a nice. Uh, that was a nice yeah. little serendipitous connection there. Good job, Doctor. Um, by the way, the daughter's name is Oji. So, anyways, um, they beam um, Laura Palmer's father back to the planet, uh, Liko, and uh, he actually retains a memory of his experience on the Enterprise, and starts to refer to uh, having seen and met the Picard. Ooh, uh, the Picard. <laughs> the great Picard. Yeah. So. Um, <clears throat> Meanwhile, uh, Troy and you know Troy and Riker's plan is approved, so they beam down to the planet and they're uh, um, they look just like Mintakins and they claim to be from another village and uh, they encounter uh, uh, Liko trying to convince everyone that the Picard exists and that they have to like do something about it. Meanwhile, some other Mintakins find Palmer and bring him in, and now the shits really hit the fan because they have Palmer. Uh, they think Picard's a god, and Riker and Troy can't isolate Palmer so that they can beam him up. Um, the whole thing's the huge uh, prime directive. This is what I would call a prime directive clusterfuck. Uh, My words exactly. It's a it's a very complicated sort of situation, and. Um, Anyways, uh, the solution ends up being uh, that they trick the Mintakins into thinking there's another crew member so that most of them leave, and then Riker ties up the old man who's charged with taking care of Palmer and steals Palmer, runs away, managed to escape successfully, but then the Mintakins now uh, distrust uh, Troy, and uh, they're deciding what to do with her while they're trying to figure out this whole Picard dilemma. One thing I, I would, if I if I if I may uh, interject, the planet had there's properties on the planet that prevent them from just beaming up from wherever. Correct? There's properties. That's why they just can't beam in and out. Well, what it was they just is beamed up Troy. At any time, but they didn't. Uh, no, incorrect. That was the prime directive. Really? Yeah. So, you're oh, right. I thought the planet had issues where they couldn't. We'll we'll okay. we'll go deeper. The, the planet does have some go issues. So when Palmer fell out of the duck blind, they suspect because they couldn't find his life signs. So they suspected right. they suspected he had crawled into a cave, which he which he did. The the Mintakins who found him found him in right. a cave. The cave was lined with a kind of a, a, a mineral or metal that didn't allow them to beam him, beam him up out Correct. of him. But they could beam in and out as long as it wasn't in one of, in one of those caves. Oh, so they could have beamed up Troy at any time? They could have, and they might have had to had her life come into serious jeopardy. But they were trying to avoid it so as not to show off more... Uh, futuristic, you know, more uh, technology. So they had to figure out a way to isolate her. That's why they wait till Riker, Riker runs, remembering that scene, and, you know, etc. Anyways, uh, Picard is in a quandary because it's the situation just keeps getting worse and worse, so he decides to do something that he seems to love to do, which is he brings uh, the leader, the female leader, <laughs> up to the Enterprise and shows her 
her planet. Uh, he did that in season one with the runners. Remember, he brought her up, and then yeah. he'll do it again with Lily in uh, first, first contact. contact. So it's his like, it's his go-to. Uh, it's his mo. <laughs> anyway, so he does that, and at first, um, it's the Picard maneuver. It is. The... <laughs> Uh, hey babe, you want to see my starship? <laughs> wow, he is—he is very gentle and uh, tender with Nuria, which is the name of the leader. Uh, anyways, he shows Nuria. Nuria originally seems to be like getting it, and then she yeah. reverts to this kind of like, "Oh, great, Picard, could you bring back people from the dead and all these things?" But then finally. Picard shows her that even they, with their advanced uh, technology, which she thinks is magic, even with their magic, they can't pro- stop people from dying. The reason why Liko was saved was because he actually wasn't dead, whereas uh, she witnesses, um, I think it's the wife of the um, the the main doctor researcher, um, <clears throat> Mary Warren is her name, and she she dies, and then Nuria uh, Nuria realizes, oh, okay, these people are just like us. When they beam back to the planet um, to face the rest of the Mentakins with Nuria, um, Liko's just out of his mind because there's a, a thunderstorm, and so he thinks that the Picard's angry, and so he's about to kill Counselor Troy when suddenly Picard appears, and now he's just like begging Picard to bring his wife back and all these things, and it's like a really kind of sad scene. And then he shoots Picard. Unfortunately, um, he hits him in the shoulder, and realizes that after he shoots him, he realizes, oh crap, I. You know, I was wrong this whole time. The Picard is not a god. He can die. Uh, I killed my daughter. <laughs> and so that... <laughs> it was Killer Bob. It wasn't actually the dad. He was possessed by Killer Bob. He killed Bob. my Laura. <laughs> Anyways, we're giving spoilers away for a whole different television show. I hope not. Well, what are they watching? What are they doing watching us? Who cares? I don't That's care. True. That's true. It was 25 years ago. They've had 25 years to watch it. <laughs> Anyways. Um... <laughs> Uh, finally, the the whole situation's resolved, uh, and there's a really nice scene at the end where they're standing uh, by that rock that's in the original series and appears <laughs> in uh, in lots of Star Trek. Uh, You're right, <laughs> it's true <laughs> in the Gorn episode. <laughs> but anyways, um, they give him uh, this the a Mintakan tapestry, which actually becomes his. I think this is Picard's first. We'll talk about this a little more if you want, but I think it becomes his first um, uh, artifact that he collects along his journey as captain of the Enterprise. The Mintakan tapestry ends up on his chair in his ready room, and we see it all throughout Star Trek and uh, and through the movies as well, I believe. Um, and that's it. That's yeah. the summary. That was an especially long summary, Doctor. <laughs> well, it's it's a very involved episode. It's and true. It's true. There, you know, the prime directive episodes. I feel are can be the epitome of of, of what start what a Star Trek story can be, or it can be the Nader. It can be just like they can be utter crap. But this one, I think, is is one of the 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 best prime directive episodes uh, 
in which you see the dilemma of what do you do. I mean, I love that scene in the beginning where, you know, basic... And I feel like there's been a, pr a prior episode where Picard and Crusher have had... Oh, yeah, the, the drug episode. The, uh, yeah, the uh, addicted... Uh, the drug-addicted... Um, the drug-addicted planet. People, yeah. And Crusher and Picard have one of those prime directive arguments in the in, in the, the turbolift uh, yeah it's a really good it's like i think that quote in that episode is you see it often when uh referring to the prime directive in general right and and here you see uh another picard crusher prime directive conflict where you know it's it's the crusher's oath as as a as a doctor as a healer comes into conflict with the prime directive uh i mean she says the guy was gonna die and it was our fault i had to bring him up and picard is like you should have basically you should have let him die yeah and i think what's interesting about this episode as opposed to that episode and then even the pen pals episode had like a heavy prime directive uh discussion that we really that was like our one takeaway remember from uh which that episode by the way is referenced here uh when yes it's, I, it's uh, funny that, yes. and dr pulaski and and you know uh, dr crusher seems a little bit annoyed she's like i'm familiar with dr pulaski's uh procedure for erasing did you find did you feel that was she was annoyed you i thought she was that? just annoyed at, at jean-luc she was annoyed at picard in general but she was and annoyed at him because of, she was annoyed i think for several reasons one not because of pulaski or no or, just no, in okay. general but i think one yes. is because and she points out to him she's like but mintakin's physiologies could be it's different totally different right. But I think she's annoyed because in her mind, there is no... The the prime directive was already violated when the duck blind was exposed and the whole contamination of the society, as it were, began. So she's like, this man was injured because of us. Like, That's a direct quote, yeah. Yeah, and, and she's like, you're not... You can't argue this one because it's not like he fell off a rock and i felt sorry for him he fell off because he saw our duck blind and he was you know so i think tr i think uh dr crusher is totally in the right here and picard and this is a rare episode where i think picard's not just facing opposition but facing opposition from someone who maybe has a little bit more um actual experience with the prime directive and he's having us the same argument with uh the the doctor uh the the lead researcher who keeps insisting hey at this point you need to <laughs> like the, the right yeah the prime directive has been violated already and the society's already been contaminated so you need to figure out a way to to save your people and minimize the the contamination but like it's already done you you know you, you're you're here trying to like <clears throat> you know hold on to these like high kind of uh beliefs but at, at the end i think picard does do the right because of all this he has to think about it and i think he does figure out the best he does figure out the best way to um lessen the blow <laughs> or the impact you know right. um and kind of right the wrongs uh that had been created but um but yeah so anyways uh one thing I noticed is uh, the music in the beginning, in the opening, was 
that excellent sort of like tension building, you know, synth, slightly synth uh, music. Heavy, yeah. Yeah, that we get, that we're used to for TNG. And it even reminded me, uh, Q, the cue that was kind of playing in the beginning reminded me of like uh, cues and Nemesis, even though that's Jerry Goldsmith. Uh, and this is, um, who is this? Uh, he's great. Um, Isn't it Dennis McCarthy? No, uh, it's not Dennis McCarthy. It's, oh, darn it. I'm going to have to look it up real quick. The score, Ron Jones. Ron Jones. Yeah, Ron Jones. Excellent music, Mr. Jones. Um, so anyways, I thought the music throughout the episode was actually really good, but that beginning was just like a little, you could tell, oh, this is going to be a tense situation just from the yeah. musical cue, which was nice. Um, That's true. What were your favorite uh, scenes uh, in this episode? I really well again. I, I really like that whole sick bay. Whoops, that sick bay sequence where Crusher and and Picard. I mean they. I mean they. They they have you know they briefly, you know sort of uh, discuss you know discuss the prime directive there. I mean Crusher's trying to get on with her job and Picard is sort of hovering around her, and uh, it's an, it's an interesting dynamic that those two characters share and the the fact that more often than not crusher seems to be on the other side of the prime directive argument from picard i think is interesting and um i you know, again I, I mentioned that you know the, this guy's in it uh laura palmer's father and and I, I think he's a very interesting. I, I enjoy his act. I enjoyed his acting in in in, in the uh, in the part, especially at the end when he's just sort of. I mean, like I mean, like you said in summary, it's lightning. Um, they appear very. You know, they they don't. I, I they don't appear that primitive, really, but in their actions, I think they come off as being very. Um, uh, superstitious as a as a people, and and I think he conveyed that aspect of the society very well, especially at the end. I thought it was very tense when you're like, "What is going on? How is how is how are they going to get out of this?" You know. And I think the the story writers for this episode also <clears throat> did a great job because Bronze Age humans were kind of uh, similar. They were kind of coming out of the darkness of superstition where they believed every um everything that happened on you know was the result of a supernatural um event you know like uh a, a, you know a particularly strong wind what could it mean you know like the uh, an infection you know a disease or flu it probably meant that they were doing something wrong and oftentimes you know previous to humans i think that i think if i'm you know my history is very rusty but yours is a little bit better than mine but i think the bronze age around this time is when uh humans started to like kind of uh, shed a lot of superstitions and move into a more uh, um, rational based society and um, I think it's also interesting that when uh, Nuria asks Picard she's like why do you you have all this like amazing um, technology and, and power why do you why do you want to study us and he even says to her he's like looking at you is like looking at ourselves because we were once the same and um 
You know, I think it's a, a fascinating thing because one wonders, uh, you know, we just had NASA announce that there's a, a new solar system that has seven uh, Earth uh, Earth-like planets that could possibly uh, harbor life, and one wonders, would would con- should conditions be similar to to the conditions here on Earth on another planet? Would a species develop similar to us? You know, would they go through the same kind of things as consciousness and sentience and all that stuff? Uh, a pa- you know, like something that that is uh, a repeating pattern so to speak in in the galaxy or in the universe um and and in star trek certainly the answer is yes you know (laughs) there's Mm. a ton of humanoid uh life forms in the galaxy and they (laughs) and they uh all seem to um develop in a very similar uh fashion uh just just by virtue of the environment uh that they're in and so on and so forth so uh i think it's very cool to think about we're nowhere near uh discovering something like even you know remotely like uh you know mintakins or vulcans or anything else you know in our in our actual present times but who oh knows, no who knows in the future what what and that's i new- have terrible news uh-oh what's the terrible news i am not recording my feed i'm recording your feed how's that possible i don't see and nothing registers when i speak don't worry about it <laughs> i just the, realized the I, i'm hearing what you read <laughs> I'm, i mean it's re i'm reading i hear get a reading when you speak uh, a wise person now. A wise person told me the show must go on, so oh, we'll figure God. it out. You can just close your little recorder there. I've got a, I've got the feed from here. I'm gonna, rec- I'm gonna close my little recorder. All right, I'm sorry. No, it's all I right. I just realized that it was kind of, bo- you, you know, the the discussion of this episode was so involving that I, I missed that. I'm like, wait a minute, why are, why am I getting a readout from you? I'm sorry. You, I messed that up. As we know, I'm on a galaxy class starship, and you are on a constitution class starship. So, you know, there's going to be technological <laughs> differences. <laughs> but, anyways, what what I was saying is, um, that's like at the end of the day, that's like one of the neat things about uh, science fiction is to imagine what our futures could be like you know one day maybe we'll be uh, a duck blind on a on a on a uh, distant planet observing a, a you know a bronze age like civilization alien civilization might be a reality for humans <laughs> mm-hmm. well one of the aspects i really liked about this episode is that we're seeing starfleet as an entity of of science exploration and discovery um, you know, these are this is a, an expedition. This is an anthropological expedition. You know, a galaxy-class starship. You know, the flagship of the fleet is being dispatched to go and help these. You know, this anthropological mission. It's not a combat mission. Right. It's not. You know, something's wrong along the neutral zone. Starfleet has no qualms about sending the best of the best to help uh, a relatively small. You know, um, uh, f- a mission of of exploration, and I, I think that's you know that that's that's the balance that Star Trek 
at least next generation always manages to do you know there's a, there's always episodes with tons of action and there's you know intrigue with romulans and there's battles with borg but we all we always have episodes like this where uh, we see that the the prime mission is that of exploration and you know the, these like you like you mentioned um the uh conversation where with that Picard had with with the the leader of the Nuria of the, with Nuria you know why why are you studying us well you know studying them not only gives insight into you know what they're like but as as we know it gives insight into how we are you know by studying other cultures you know uh, it's 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 learning the condition of life in general you know how people live yeah and and i i think uh this this episode shows that uh starfleet is not a military is not a purely military organization which i think is in keeping with the vision that roddenberry had of the federation and starfleet and um i thought it, i thought it was it, it was uh it, it, that was one of one of the interesting aspects of this episode is showing Starfleet not just as a, a military machine or uh, a fleet patrolling a border or enforcing you know some right. you know it's exploration it's right. learning about people I mean how many duck blind are out there you know how, how, oh, how many I, missions are there I wonder, uh, yeah which, you know which actually um you know this is this is an example where it goes wrong you know but then and then we see it again although with a twist in star trek insurrection there's the the same thing <laughs> you're I'm like not, oh, God. i'm not familiar with that <laughs> and so. as a matter of fact if i'm not mistaken it might be the same rock the duck blind rock we're gonna call it from now. No, it's not the same rock. Okay, it's not the same. They were filming I've only seen the movie once, but I know it wasn't the same rock. They were filming, remember, in in a very actually where they filmed was, was beautiful for for that film. Oh that Baku village is is exquisitely beautiful. Yeah. I think right? they had to actually be uh, helicoptered up to some. Oh, remember it was it was it was a location at a very high elevation. It was it was in some mountains. Well, we'll get somewhere. we'll get to that more uh, <laughs> when we when we get to. We our, will? Well, yeah, maybe you will. Eventually, when we get to our Star Trek Insurrection uh, re, uh, rewatch. I wish you all the luck in the world with that. <laughs> so now we know it's no secret that the Doctor does not. Uh, like Star Trek Insurrection. But um, I had a question um, that kind of came into my mind, which is, uh, you know, yeah, so like most of these missions probably go well, but when they do go wrong, you know, it can be catastrophic. Like in in this case, you know, it could have been catastrophic. It already is, a, a you know, a, a tainting or a pollution of this uh the, the civilization's uh, you know natural progression, so to speak, um, and it begs the question: like, what if uh, you know these? What aliens, happens next? Yeah, or what if these ancient alien uh, theorists? This is kind of like you know validating something uh, that people have wondered about, which is like, could you know in in hu- humanity's past, could there have been duck blinds watching us? 
you know who watches the watchers you know where do these where where do these uh these myths of ours come from of uh alien abductions and like you know uh beings with exquisite power and things like that so i wonder if uh in our own uh bronze age uh, you know were we perhaps visited by an advanced uh, civilization or even, you know, to get really trippy and science fictiony, it could even be future humans time traveling to a safe point where they can observe human development without interfering with it too much. So I don't know. So like, to me, it's like um, the prime directive is in place. This is obviously a situation having these duck blinds and these research stations and these anthropological um uh missions is i think playing with the very boundaries of the prime directive i think that you know there probably is an argument to be made that maybe we shouldn't even be doing these anthropological uh missions what do you think well as in the starfleet you know of context obviously <laughs> you mean should they be doing them yeah should they be doing them at all absolutely Absolutely. I mean, we, we, we send, I mean, that's what anthropologists do today. They go into societies that have rarely seen, I mean, I don't know how many there are left now, but it's certainly, you know, uh, in the early 20th century, Margaret Mead and people like that going off and, and uh, visiting uh, cultures that have rarely seen Europeans or Americans and, and, and learning about them i mean that's and of course that affects a change that af- affects change into into those people but I, I think it's uh it's worthwhile i mean that's how we learn it's worthwhile to us but what what do you think the cost might be to the people like that's actually a great example um you know people who are isolated uh civilizations smaller groups that are isolated and and you know live life differently than us like by going in there and observing it's one thing mm-hmm. but now you know a lot of the a lot of the introduction to these civilizations caused other curious people who maybe aren't trained as as anthropologists are to go in and introduce themselves and then eventually now they're like right. well we, you know we need to integrate these people into the the rest of the world you know why right. <laughs> you know so it's like right. so there you know there's the, i think there's definitely pros and cons i think that yeah, conflict of cultures i mean on earth obviously I a mean, little what can you do it's a little different it's a little different because we're all humans right. we're all we're on we're all you know we're you know how hard how easy is it to you know stay completely isolated right you can't have a baku, oh, at this point you can't really have a baku village right <laughs> i mean anymore, yeah. well i remember yeah um, actually i just remembered that the shalaman movie the and the shalaman movie the village oh right <laughs> you know i mean you'd have to have something like that i guess which is uh, which is a great again, movie by the way great movie and and in that situation it's still not isolated the, the, it's, no people left greater civilization and created a right. isolated but it's still not isolated it's protected which right. is which is something i think that you know is worth looking at like why aren't certain you know are there are there there probably are protected um villages and things like that in the amazon or at least the attempt to protect them is there <laughs> but <laughs> now speaking to 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 starfleet and uh I mean, like you said, this is this was a 
a case of where the technology went wrong, generally I would imagine it wouldn't go wrong. Right. So I think it's justified. My thinking is that when something like this happens, and I'm sure it's already happened, I mean, just by virtue of Captain Kirk, I'm sure <laughs> Starfleet must have come up with something already. Um, his five-year mission just <laughs> ran havoc over the Prime Directive. I'm sure, the, think... I'm sure the Prime Directive was amended because of Captain Kirk. <laughs> yes, there's Several many times. Kirk amendments. Um, Kirk annulments of the amendment. <laughs> um, I, I would think that at this point, you know, perhaps the diplomatic corps come in and perhaps there is a, this is pure conjecture, perhaps there is a special section of the Starfleet diplomatic corps that are, uh, that are, are focused primarily on civilizations that are inadvertently Exposed, exposed to the Federation and the greater universe, and it, it would be in the interest of the Federation to damage protect, control. Basically, protect damage control. Da- and now your your planet becomes a protectorate. It's true of the of a the protectorate. Correct. Yeah. That's a that's yeah. an, right. Correct. So I would imagine the diplomatic corps comes into it now. That's a really oh. great. That's a really great uh, kind of conjecture there. And and we get a hint of it with uh, Troy and Riker's plan because they're trying to go in as Mintakins and do damage control, you know? And, right. And so now, of course, they don't have to hide anymore after this. But, like, that could be, like, a phase one situation right there. It's like, oh, let's go in as Mintakins and try to see what the – the actual, uh, you know, cultural pollution is here. Assess the damage. Assess the damage and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, yeah, very good. I like that. There, I I feel right. like there's a whole uh, novel to be written. Was there ever a follow-up? Well, I will say this. I will say this. There was never a follow-up, but I would like to read a quote. And this is from Ira Stephen Bear, who was – he worked on Deep, Deep Space Nine. Right. And he, this is a quote from uh, Memory Alpha. A IRS Stephen Bear commented that he thought Who Watches the Watchers, Watchers was a good hour of television. I thought it was a pretty good show, but it was in and out as Star Trek The Next Generation was prone to do because it was about boldly going forth. If right. the writers had Every had... Again. <laughs> right. If the writers had had five seasons to work with that thread... Who knows how many twists and turns Jean-Luc could have gone through. That opportunity just wasn't there. And and he's right. The the premise of of the story is something that you, you could almost have done an entire season on on this idea of, you know, the duck blind goes bad, the enterprise arrives and oh my god, what do we do because they think Picard's a god? And, you know, I mean, what if other villages had been involved? What if, I mean, it could have. Right. And and instead, it's a capsule episode. I will say here that if Star Trek Discovery were moving forward. <laughs> oh, boy. Let's say Star Trek Discovery was set like 100 years or 200 years in the in the mm-hmm. future. There would have been an opportunity then to revisit the Mintakins, and who knows, yeah. maybe they would have achieved warp 
you know, warp uh, capabilities, or perhaps, you know, the Ferengi somehow help them, you know, now that they're hungry for the technology and the power, you know, who knows what could have happened, and it could have been, like, something interesting to talk about. Or they could have been serving in Starfleet, you never know. Um, Actually, I was just, I just realized, um, you know, what, what, you know, what criteria there is for choosing where to put an anthropolo- anthropological study like this, you know, where it's hidden. You know, the fact that they resembled Vulcans, I mean, I'm wondering if maybe, you know, they're wondering, well, why do they look like Vulcans? You know, what what what, what are these people? They look like Vulcans, yet they're all the way out of here. You know, obviously, you want to understand that. Right. You, you want to figure out why do they look like Vulcans? Right. I would um, even suspect that when the uh, Romulan faction separated from Vulcan, it was probably a... uh, Right. It was probably like... Well, it could have also been... You know, I imagine, you know, like an exodus being many ships, you know, obviously heading out. Everything from small, you know, personal vessels to, like, large, you know, know, generational-type ships, you know, Mm -hmm. heading out away from Vulcan because of this like ideological belief which is by the way gonna happen if a lot of people start moving to Mars like we're kind of uh... and to get away from Trump <laughs> yeah or whoever you know there's you know Trump four years uh god forbid eight years but beyond that there's a lot of people that just are done they're just like you know they right. feel that the real future is exploration and colonization beyond earth so these people are are gonna do it i feel like in our lifetime we will see you know if not just the first expeditions to mars our lifetime i think so i hope so i hope so i don't know so but i hope so i hope so too i believe that if elon musk is successful he at least he wants to die on mars that's his statement i think and so i think that's neat i think it'll be neat because that is kind of like so. a you know something that we're uh, we're gonna see that's very extraordinary. But anyways, my point is is when the uh, the the Vulcans that later become Romulans, you know, separate and go off. This is like you know a millennia ago or whatever, however long ago. Uh-huh. It's possible that one of the ships crashed, crash landed, and you know no one thought that there were survivors, or perhaps they thought you know like or for whatever reason no one kept track of it and then, and then mintakins came from that you know right um, how else would you find out unless you do a mission like what we saw there so right, where you're finding out what the myths are right. of the society and so on and so right. forth right. and it harkens back to this again this other episode of you know at least they they still knew that they were part of once part of the federation but the episode where data goes down you know, to the plant, then the Shelyak corporate ensigns of command, know, right? The ensigns of command. Thank you. You know, they still knew that they were part of the Federation, but obviously, whatever the Mintakin uh, passes, and then there's also the possibility that they just happen to have evolved the same way Vulcans did. You know, that right. whatever the conditions are on the planet are very similar enough to have created a, a, a Vulcan-like, uh, a, right. you know, species. 
interesting things to think about. There's a lot of stuff in Star Trek that you can go really deep into uh, and think about, and it's kind of a fun thought experiment or thought exercise. I like going on these thought experiments with you, Doctor. <laughs> oh, likewise, likewise. The show is is this show is are we like a, are we referring uh, to the companion? Our yes, girl? we are. Here we are. Our <laughs> favorite. Gonna, let's just favorite start book. referring to the book as the companion. The companion. <laughs> the companion. <laughs> Our companion on this journey. Uh, let's see what it has to say. Oh my! It's very little lighting here. Hold on a minute. No. Nope. Get some more lighting here. While you're doing that. Um, oh, I guess I need you. <laughs> the doctor needs more light. This is what happens when you get older. Oh, my. Yes. <laughs> Tell me about it. Okay. Um, well, they, the book confirms that this is the same location that was used in uh, several original series episodes, including Arena, Friday's Child, Shore Leave, and alternative factor. Um, the shooting took place in 100 degree heat for two days. I have to admit, the photography, the cinematography looked amazing. And knowing it was that very, it was 100 degrees yeah. makes perfect sense because it was bright, man. That. <clears throat> I forget who. Or where I read this or who pointed this out to me, but um, season three really is the beginning of that Star Trek, the next generation aesthetic, like film wise, like uh-huh. the way the way things are lit, the way thing, the film stock they use even is like a nice, rich. It looks like a it, the outside oh. scenes don't look different from the inside scenes. You know how you can always right. tell when you're on yeah. location that it's it's a different film stock than when you're shooting indoors or whatever in a lot of shows. And yes. there's no difference in Star Trek and Creation. It's such a high-quality production. Uh, so, you know, as always, hats off to all the people involved in the production. And I don't think... Um, I think I read somewhere in the trivia that Michael Piller comes in on the next episode, and that begins his show. His time. Yes, there is a... Uh, for the last four episodes, we've had a a showrunner who basically left after i mean he just did a short four episode stint and then he left he didn't really gel with the team mm-hmm. and this was his last episode um uh hmm. oh okay well among the guest cast twin peaks fans remember ray wise as leland laura palmer's possessed father and wise also appeared in o'neill's the hairy ape with frakes in New York. Hmm, interesting. Um, oh, interesting. I didn't know this. Catherine Lee Scott, who played... Who did she play? She's the leader of the... Um, oh, Nuria. Yeah. Nuria, yeah. Okay, Nuria is Maggie Evans from Dark Shadows. Oh, wow. Ooh, yes. So this is kind of an all-star cast here. Very good performances, uh, by the way. And I even thought, like, okay, so I have to ask you, what did you think of uh, uh, Counselor Troy in this episode? I thought she was great. 
I think her and, and Riker made a great team. This and, that whole scene in the episode where she's like talking about how the Mintakan women kind of are in charge and they walk ahead of you know, this oh, whole thing. Yeah. And, she's like, and she was just kind of frisky and playful and like, you know, just and so Riker Yeah, it was like enjoying it, every minute of and it. She's yeah. wa- what's cute is that she's walking ahead of Riker in that scene and she, it's just kind of like their dynamic and their relationship as well. And it really gets you it, it it makes you wish that they had done a Titan series. I know. <laughs> you really see the chemistry that these two actors already in season three have with each other. And you realize that a a Titan series would have been a, just a phenomenal thing. A fan dream. <laughs> a fan dream, to that be sure. That would have sure. been a great way to continue the next generation <laughs> as well with Riker, you know, a it natural progression. It would have been great. Um, Rick Sternbach has said that he based the design of the protruding scope used in the duck blind on the video cameras used by the by the uh, TMA1 team in 2001. And, uh, oh, and then the mention of Dr. Pulaski in this episode mm-hmm. is the final mention of Dr. Pulaski oh, no. in Star Trek Next Generation. Are you sure? Yes. Oh well. Oh, wait, no, but um, doesn't isn't the, there's a follow up Moriarty episode? I'm surprised he wouldn't. Not by name. Oh, it is the last the time. <laughs> She's the woman. Yeah. No, they never mention her again. Isn't well, that sad? Yeah, I mean, but it's also not. It's understandable too. I mean, no, it's not. Yeah. <laughs> She was on board for a whole year. A whole season, it's true. A whole she, season. We can move on. She had, re- you know, she had relationships with, with, you know, different members of the crew. Um, it is true. It would have been nice to have uh, a Dr. Pulaski uh, follow-up, though. You're right. I always thought it would have been cool, you know, just as we had an episode where Scotty meets Jordy, and you had some tension there. Excuse me. I thought it would have been, and I think it would have been interesting to have seen Pulaski and Crusher somehow, I don't know, stuck on a star base under siege <laughs> by a disease or something, and the two of them have to figure it out. And and you I know, don't know. It you would know have been interesting. A story, a story like that probably, I wouldn't doubt, exists. Is probably in the expanded Star Trek universe in, in the books Maybe. comics or something like that so uh if anyone out there knows <clears throat> such a thing uh please feel free to let us know about it as well if if we had done our show star trek pasture <laughs> i would have written pulaski back <laughs> and there she would have been i would have offered i would have said please do a guest star episode be a guest star and and come back to Star Trek just for one episode and, and let us give you the the farewell that you did not get on, on Next Generation. Oh, that would have been great. I would have supported that. <laughs> I know. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let's see. So what did you think of... Um, I guess... In this episode, we didn't have... Oh, Wesley was absent completely, so he wasn't even in the episode. Well, because the ship wasn't in danger. But I I felt like... <laughs> I felt like every... And they needed to, like, 
afford Laura Palmer's dad <laughs> and the and the on location shooting and stuff. So they're like, oh, the on location shooting. Wesley on freeze for this episode. That's this, true. Everyone in the crew kind of like contributed to this episode to a degree, to a degree I thought too, which was another <clears throat> nice thing that I love about the next generation is when there's like a little bit of everyone's role affecting, you know, ooh, that's really bad. <laughs> kind of affecting the outcome, you know, where everyone the Romulan flu still lingers. Everyone's utilized in some way. Could you imagine if Worf had beamed down uh, to the planet? How how? <laughs> like, <laughs> it so would have that, been a very short episode. Yeah. So th- I love the way the f- the ending scene was filmed. By the way, where all the Mentakins are kind of gathered around together from the yeah. you know, from the experience and they're actually reflecting um, which i you don't see often they're actually reflecting on the events like yeah. you finally see laura palmer's dad rational again and you see what Liko might have been like before his mind went kind of crazy with uh with these ideas of uh well he's enlightened now right <clears throat> so i mean again this is pure extrapolation but you know you can almost imagine that you know maybe with the knowledge that they have, you know, this town moving forward, this is the town that is now maybe will lead the capital city of their planet. The capital city of their planet and their planet, of their district One or whatever. And anyways, yeah. 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 You know. So uh I mean like like this guy said, the th- this scenario is ripe for a whole novel almost, a whole season's worth of stories. And um Again, it's just another stellar episode in this season. It just doesn't stop. One of the benefits of rewatching a series uh, or anything that you love, just like revisiting it, um, uh, was that when I first saw this episode, it was touching that the Mintakins gave Picard the the tapestry, but watching it again now and i think i've seen this episode maybe once before when i got it on dvd after airing and then i this would this would probably be the third time i've ever seen it it really hit like it really kind of struck a personal nerve when i saw the um the tapestry because i was like oh crap i've seen that in, oh, right. in picard's you know uh, quarters throughout the series. It's something very familiar, very tangible, and it's like now it's yeah. like there's an important the story. What's that? You know the story behind it. I know the story behind it. I remember. You know, it's like sure. I sure if I really thought about it when I was watching the series in the first place, I would have been like, oh, that's that thing that you know was given him. But now with all this like kind of uh, you know with all this these kinds of uh, sentimental uh, feelings attached to it, it was just like quite a touching moment. I thought I actually got yeah. really really emotional. So yeah, I well, know it was good. Well, we both agree that this was a superb episode. I think it's time to give it our ratings, and I'll let you go first this time. <laughs> I give this a uh, I give this an eight. An eight is is a good rating. I give it an eight, uh, eight and a half almost. I think it's it's one of the best of it's 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 a top episode. Yeah, definitely worth a rewatch. I'm gonna give it a eight point five so that it, we can kind of bump, go ahead and bump that up to an eight point five. There, it's okay. a very close. It's a very close to nine episode, um, 
for me and um, why am I not giving this one a 10 even though I kind of am super excited about it is just because there are certain things that um, uh, are are unanswered and it is a capsule episode and we don't it doesn't outside of the tapestry being an important part of um, you know our visual idea of Star Trek The Next Generation, uh, we don't really think about the Mintakins again until uh, Star Trek Insurrection, and then we're like, wait a second, wasn't there a Duck Blind episode that was similar to this plot? You know, <laughs> so that's uh, that's it, but it's a, it's a valuable episode in terms of the philosophies presented in it, and I think it's one that's worth uh, further discussion, even beyond, yeah. you know, beyond this. Um, there's something I've uh, neglected doing, not intentionally, uh, but uh, one of our uh, viewers, uh, William Peck, asked a question like way long ago. Oh. Uh, and I have been meaning to read it, and it's addressed to you and I, and I've been meaning oh. to, to read it. It's, um, it. It was a comment left on the episode A Matter of Honor. Do you remember that episode? The Klingon. It's the Klingon episode oh, where. First season? Uh, season one or season two where they're on that freighter that's about to explode and they come over season one season one yeah so it's a matter of honor right it was a while ago so william peck thank you for being a viewer and also uh for for really uh i believe william's watched all of our episodes so (laughs) picard salutes you yes picard and we salute you too we give you a all right there we go all right Mm -hmm. (laughs) so the question is um i'll just read it uh, from his comment. I actually have a question to pose for discussion on your show. Talking about Klingons has brought a question to my mind that I have pondered on forever, I think. I know this is technically about TNG, but ev- but ev- everyone always says that Enterprise upset canon by introducing... Oh, and this is relevant because you're watching Enterprise. Great. <laughs> everyone says that Enterprise upset canon by introducing the Klingons too early, question mark. Now, I know the first time we see them on screen is an errand of mercy, but it's made clear we've met them before. The only reference I've ever found is the TNG fourth season episode, First Contact, which we're going to get to next <laughs> next season. Oh, really? Oh, next season. Next season. <laughs> uh, where Picard makes a statement that centuries ago, when making contact with the Klingons, things went badly. So now they do their homework with First Contacts. I've listened to that line over and over. He doesn't say a century, but centuries ago. So I would love to see a discussion on this. I'm not sure Enterprise messed that up. Thank you for putting up with my rants and remembrances. LOL. <laughs> so we gladly put up with your rants and remembrances. So do we have a discussion about that? Is that something well, that we're, we're prepared to talk about? <laughs> so the line is centuries ago? Yeah, I guess so. Well then, well because yeah, the episode "Broken Broken Bow," which is the pilot and series premiere for Enterprise, establishes the first encounter, official encounter between Earth and Klingon. I mean, mm-hmm. it, they don't even they don't know what a Klingon is. There's a guy who one of the Starfleet admirals. And he doesn't even know how to pronounce it. Like he's he about to pronounce the name. He says that's a Klingot. 
And then <laughs> the Vulcans right. are like, no, cling on. Is that and Admiral Forrest? So wait, the Vulcans... It's, it's, I think it's somebody else, but it, he's next to Forrest. Right. But the Vulcans seem to know in that episode. The Vulcans really... know, and they say that, uh, I think the, I think he says, oh, luckily we've kept back channels with Kronos on this. And, and in fact, the Enterprise goes to Kronos. And and at the very end of the um, of the episode, and deliver back uh, the the Klingon that the the Sulaban had had uh, had been chasing and were trying to to kill. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so it is a, it is it is pretty much established in the episode that that is the first encounter between Earth and uh, and and Klingon and, and Kronos and the Klingons. I don't know if you. I mean, to to say that it went wrong, I don't know if you could. I mean, obviously we shot him. The the there was a farmer who shot him. Right, it went badly. It went badly, I guess, in that sense. But I mean, Mm -hmm. you know, it was natural. I mean, nobody understood each other in that situation. And this Klingon just shows up in this guy's farm. You know, well, what else are you going to do? One can imagine that when he goes back to Kronos and he's reporting that he's actually been injured, uh-huh. that there could be, you know, some Klingons probably are like, oh, yeah, but, you know, the, you didn't die and they returned you. Right. And they and said, that, yeah, they saved him, actually. They saved right. him from the Sulaman. But other Klingons might so be like, rescued him. but you could see another faction of Klingons being like, these people are awfully, uh, you know, violent and belligerent and we must fight them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, coming from them, right? <laughs> but in terms of the the timeline, I mean, Enterprise takes place how soon before a good Star chunk Trek? of time before I don't know the official, but um, we would have at to at least uh, toward. There were plans at the end of Enterprise to kind of retrofit retrofit. Um, the NX-01, and you would start to see the familiar shape of the, uh, later, the, you know, the iconic Constitution Plus. Okay. So, and, Enterprise starts in 2150. And TOS Next starts. generation... Well, TOS, we're, you know... As would well, be when Picard makes the comment, centuries... I mean, oh, he, he's, he's correct, because... Uh, it next could gener- be a couple of centuries. It's... A, yeah. No, I would say eighty for, years between Star Trek and Next Generation. And Next Generation, and so then another, you know, who knows, some odd hundred, some odd years uh, before that. I mean, he. I think technically he might be right. It could just very well be right on the dot, two centuries since. Uh, and I wouldn't hold Captain Picard or anyone to exactness in a casual conversation. You know, like he's probably, you know, he doesn't have to like well, be totally. Exact. He is Captain Picard. <laughs> I know it's true. <laughs> but even even our our Captain Picard. By the way, going back to this episode for a second, I forgot to mention. I believe we get the full Picard in this. <laughs> You said that in the text. I thought that was funny. Is that like like the full Monty? Similar. It's a it's a similar concept. I think this is a very uh, a very Picard heavy uh, (laughs) episode. But going back to William's um, question, I think Enterprise probably did a good job at uh, augmenting or retro, you know, retconning. whatever was established i think uh as he mentions as far as i can remember there's not like a very 
clear canon or canonical in-show, in-movie explanation of how the Federation and the Klingons um, got involved. So I feel like Enterprise had some leeway with them. And it's just like, you know, uh, how First Contact pretty much establishes and retcons the First Contact story. Because, like, we really didn't know exactly how the Vulcan we understood that the Vulcans and humans had first contact but we didn't know how you know so it's kind of like one of those things where you can and that's why it's probably good to keep things vague you know as much as possible because then you can explore them later on right and um I lost my train of thought completely what are you going to say <laughs> oh um well I mean I, I think I mean, what what First Contact really retconned, I think, was just Cochrane's story, because obviously, because in the original series, we also meet Zephram Cochrane, and no, but it wasn't wasn't that was it actually Zephram Cochrane? I forget. Yes, I thought there was a was, twist. Oh, okay. Well, it was Zephram Cochrane being kept alive oh, that's by right. that that whatever it was a cloud or something. So yeah, that's just how his life ended, which is fine. Mm. <laughs> There's discontinuity there. <laughs> I don't remember. I have to go back and watch. <laughs> yeah, you, you should rewatch. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I and in turn now the, in the only obviously the only continuity glitch there with the Klingons is is just a look. Um, obviously, the Klingons we see in Enterprise match the look that we have established since, you know, the movies, I guess you could say. The Klingons we see in the original series look nothing like that, and and it's to the point where all he can do is joke about it on Deep Space Nine, where... Right. Uh, but I believe there was a fascinating... Um, I don't know if yes. it's... It's not canonical, but it, it's not canon, what you're about to say. Isn't there a book uh, about a dilithium planet that deals with this though, where Kirk um, is? Kirk no. is. I well, thought there was. I thought that it was also addressed in that book. I can't remember. No, it's but, you're referring to Dead of Honor, which. Oh, maybe it just uh, sounds like a Klingon. Uh, <laughs> which is right here, Dead of Honor. This is the exact copy I loaned you back in. No, I'm not referring to that. There is a book. You're not. There's a book where there's, there's, a, there's, there's a reason here, too. Oh, okay. Well, tell me the reason. I'll look up the book I was thinking of. Um, let me see if I can find it. The Klingons with... Uh, the Klingons that don't have the ridges fell out of favor within the Empire. So it's kind of a, a, a Romulan versus Riemann kind of thing. Oh, okay. So the book I'm referring to is called How Much for Just the Planet. Uh, and the cover, let me let me show you the cover if I can pull up a picture of it. How Much for Just the Planet. It's actually a really uh, interesting... Uh, I remember being attracted to this because of the cover. Um, let's find a... A nice big here we go okay i'm gonna do that thing which i'm not sure we'll be able to do anymore after uh <laughs> after april 
Whoa, it's like the wind is howling or something. All right. All right, do you see? I, I, I haven't read that book. I have that book, but I haven't read it. Anyways, there you have a... Is that W.C. Fields in the middle? It looks like him, right? <laughs> but it has to do... I have a vague recollection of it, but it has to do with... This is, like... I read this book in, like, early middle school, if I'm not mistaken. But anyways, it has to do... And I found this book at the library on Flagler Street. This is... No. Personal, yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> at that library. That's where I found the it. The West Flagler Branch Library. Yeah, no one knows what we're talking about. I apologize. But <laughs> but it's important. One of the great libraries in the good library, right. But anyways, it has to do with a dilithium planet. And um, the Klingons and the... Uh, the Klingon Empire and the Federation are trying to um, get the rights to harvest the dilithium or, or even, you know, uh, buy the planet so that they could... Uh, <laughs> and I remember it being fun. But I remember there being something about the Klingons and their origins or something like that in, in that book, but I could be wrong. Well, in, in Dead of Honor, they, they bring the return uh, one of the Klingons from, um, from the series, and he is drawn... As you can see, he has drawn. I don't know if you can see, but he has drawn similar to the Klingons oh, yeah. of the of the series. And in it, he states, "To my ship and my crew must go the honor of being, to use that phrase of yours, Kirk, the stalking horse, the bait to lure our enemy into an attack. The loss of the dreadnought during the V'ger encounter caused my people an irredeemable disgrace." As a consequence, our rival Klingons gained ascendancy in the High Council, and we as a race were discommoded, banished to the farthest reaches of the Empire, stripped of the right to call ourselves Klingons, stripped of our honor. And then he shows how the Klingons look now with the ridges. So, according to Dead of Honor, uh, which is uh, written by Chris Claremont, uh, who many comic book fans will recognize as uh, one of the premier X-Men writers. As a matter of fact, this is an autographed copy, and he did a little doodle of the Enterprise right there. I don't know if Oh, lovely. Uh, yeah, that's very cool. Yeah, he, he's a great guy, by the way. I, I've had the pleasure of, of speaking to him. And... Um, he was very happy when when I brought him Dead of Honor. Um, I always thought that was a fascinating concept that there are actually, you know, not all the Klingons have ridges and and those Klingons just sort like the well they use that premise in in, in Nemesis. I mean, the Remans are Romulans, right? Right. They're right. just Romulans that are. Evolved a little differently, or something. evolved a little differently, and they're kept in the in the mines. Mm-hmm. And so, it's really the same theory. It's never been specifically stated in the show what happened, but you know. But then we have the pro- so referring to William's question, he mentions Errand of Mercy, and we have what's his name, General Clang or Chang, right? I think that is, yeah, I think that's who was in this in this in, in this, this picture program. there. Yeah. But then DS9 kind of screws that up when he had don't the the same Klingons doesn't he come back in an episode of DS9 but now he has ridges on his head? 
All three of them have ridges. Yeah, they all right, like they all come back. Yes. And they're the same characters, right? And they are the same characters. So, so that kind of like even Well, hold on. Maybe in order to <laughs> maybe in order to uh maybe the Klingons these Klingons, the ridged Klingons, demanded a uh, a rite of purity. You must, you know, we must all look alike, and you have to undergo some Surgery. sort of genetic manipulations. Um, which, going back to Broken Bow uh, Enterprise, mm, uh, the doctor, Phlox, recognizes the Suliban, but he says, oh, but their genetics are completely... I mean that's the whole point. Control. Yeah, it's true. The Suliban are are being are exchanging, basically they're becoming the slave race to this uh, mystery temporal whatever. Right. In order right. to advance temporal themselves, right. right, for genetic manipulation. Name. So maybe the Klingons. Well, if you're going to stay a Klingon, you got to look like this. Which, hey, you know. That's a very interesting point. That's I never thought about that, but of course, genetic augmentation can happen, and so a non-ridged Klingon could then undergo a procedure to 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 then have these, you know, ornamental. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> or what, what what if somebody becomes president and says, "Well, everybody has to be blonde, blue-eyed," you know? believe certain things otherwise you're not american <laughs> oh jeez i mean <laughs> huh wow okay so <laughs> things like that happen you know it does happen you're yes. not american because you're this and you're not right. american because you're not that it could have happened with the klingons you're not a klingon because you don't have ridges and you don't believe kalos is god right i don't, I don't That's know true. good point good did point. we answer his question I don't, William, I, I don't know if we answered your question, but I hope we uh, gave you an interesting uh, set of new questions to ponder. <laughs> Anyways, Doctor, I think uh, we're done with this uh, exciting uh, episode of Starfleet Boy, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I really appreciate it. So, um, great episode. Uh, look forward to our next our next discussion. Live long and prosper. Live long and, and prosper. See you next time.